Hi, welcome back to Dermcast. I'm Amber, and today I'm sitting with Douglas DeRogero, a practicing dermatology PA in Rome, Georgia. Thanks for talking with us today. Pleasure to be here, thank you. We're talking about ocular dermatology today. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your approach to these patients. Well, when, uh, when patients come in with complaints on the eye, if I'm teaching someone, if I have a resident with me, uh, I generally talk to them about, if you see that on the chart, complaints around the eye, I'm gonna go into the room and anatomically, I'm gonna split that in my mind into, is it a complaint around the orbit, periorbital? Is it periocular involving the eyelids? Or is it right on the eye itself or an ocular problem? So in my brain, I'm splitting this up as this, periorbital, periocular, or eye, or a combination of all those. Because you're gonna have a differential diagnosis based on where things present, based on those specific anatomical regions. Taking it from there, then you start to build your differential diagnosis. Can you talk to us just briefly about what are the most common pathologies you see in each of those areas? Well, it's kind of the same thing. The, the longer you practice dermatology, the, the more you develop an ability just to look at the chart note and already in your brain say, it's likely gonna be this or it could be this. And so, and as the more we practice, the, the better ability we develop to develop differentials. So if someone, if a nurse has written on there, he's got some lesions around the outside of his eyes and his eyebrows. Well, automatically in the periocular area, you're gonna think of something like a dermatosis papulosa nigra, a, a DPN, especially in mm -hmm. skin of color. If it's an older gentleman, smoker, a lot of sun exposure, Fave Rocca show with a collection of those blackheads in that area. You're also just gonna see basal cell and squamous cell in that area. As you move closer into the eye involving the eyelid or a periocular distribution, you're looking at atopic dermatitis. If it's itchy and pruritic, you're looking at contact dermatitis that's in that area. And then if it's lesions that are there within on the differential, it's gonna be serangomas, ecron, hydrocystomas, apricot hydrocystomas, xanthomas, as well as all of your other tumors. As we move on to the eyelid margin itself, if it's beefy, if it's red, if it's telentagic, then you're looking at potentially ocular rosacea, which can have those symptoms, or just simply have symptoms of watery eye and itch. You know, so you look at some kind of an inflammatory disease, you could have drug eruptions that are causing these problems. If something's on the eyeball itself, an ocular presentation, then you're looking at growth from the conjunctiva, a panicula or a pterygium, or you're looking at tumors that involve the eye itself. And, and I think people are pretty shocked to realize uh, we send our patients off for a one-year annual dilated eye exam if you have a history of melanoma because we feel like only the ophthalmologist can see the back of the eye and tell you if you have melanoma. But a fair number of melanomas are actually being diagnosed on the iris itself, on the uveal area, and when, what you can see. That's why I tell my patients, look at my nose. Stare right at my nose because I'm looking at the color of their eye to see if there's any change that is there. Because if you pick up a new spot in that area, I mean, half of the ocular melanomas are not seen in the back of the eye, but actually can be seen by a clinician. And, uh, and people's eye color can change with time and for a number of medical reasons. But if it looks odd and different, then that's a, that's a reason to, to refer. As well as squamous can involve the bulbar conjunctiva. We don't typically see basals on the ocular lens itself, but more around, around the eyelid itself. Do you talk to your patients about self-eye exams when you're talking about melanoma? Do they look in their own eyes for changes? Do you counsel on that at all? You know what, I don't, but I probably should. You know, I, I definitely talk to them about the fact that there are between 2,500 and 3,500 cases per year in the U.S. of ocular melanoma, and that while uh, a, a good number of those or the majority of those are only gonna be seen by the ophthalmologist, but the eye of course, the ophthalmologist is looking at the outside of the eye as well, 
that that I want to look there as well. Mm -hmm. So, but probably a good idea. I mean, it's a reason also for telling them to wear sunglasses. Exactly. Because you know, we, we want to cut down uh, tumor formation around the periocular area, but as well as the melanoma formation in the eye. But that's probably an excellent recommendation. And that's an area that I don't know that we generally recommend to patients as far as sunglass protection. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about sunscreen mm -hmm. and sun protective clothing, but eyewear is important to incorporate mm -hmm. in that. Same conversation. Right. Well, I mean, the, the concept of something called um, uh, heretochromia, which is different colors to the eye. You know, it can be, be can be partial where one eye has a little bit of half a color and another color. It can be complete where one eye is brown, one eye is totally blue. and Or it can be central, you know, or it can be peripheral. Like if you see aging of the eye, the arcus senilis, where you can pick up a gray halo around the outside of the eye. So there can be some natural reasons why eye color changes. But it kind of it came to the forefront a little bit when Latisse came out, and so Latisse was one of its side effects was it potentially could change the color of the eye, uh, and and that opened up the door a little bit for people to realize things can do that. Well, yeah, things can do that, and one of the major things is melanoma can do that, and so uh, and there are some good examples online of looking at partial her heretochromia, ocular heretochromia, and seeing those changes and how melanoma can look a little different than that because it's more abnormal in its presentation. Excellent so. point. Mm -hmm. Are there any other additional pearls that you'd like to put out to our viewers today? Well, I, I don't think you can leave a talk on ocular uh, manifestations in the dermatologic clinic without talking about ocular rosacea, you know, because it's such an area that the studies show us convincingly that we are not doing a good job as clinicians asking our patients about their eye symptoms when they come in. If they complain about it, then we, uh, oh, we launch into it. But the fact is, is that when they survey patients who have had a diagnosis of rosacea, all right, and they did a really nice study a couple years ago where they just did uh, telephone interview surveys and just asked them, all right, you've been diagnosed with rosacea. I see on your chart you've been diagnosed with, with rosacea. Do you have eye symptoms and manifestation of eye itch, blurriness, and just a greedy feel to the eye? And over 90% of those folks said yes. And then the follow-up question was, do you, have you ever been told that your rosacea can affect your eyes? Only 30% had been told that it could. Have you ever been asked by the person who treats your rosacea about your eyes? Only 30% said they should. So we're not doing a very good job of counseling in that area because there are some, there are some really some practical things people can do. And a lot of it comes down to what we just call myobian gland dysfunction, MGD. And that's kind of the, at the heart of most conjunctivitis or, or greedy, dry itch problems. And those myobian glands which kind of sit right behind the eyelashes. I mean, they secrete a, an oily film that keeps our tears in place. But if they become clogged and they become irritated, and it's very common that that happens with ocular rosacea, maybe Demodex plays a part in that, maybe not. There's still, still kind of a debate on that. But by, uh, by doing proper eyelid eye and eyelash massage and by doing extraction of the myobian glands, which a lot of ophthalmologists will do, it's almost instantaneous relief for a lot of patients. So it's not that you always have to run right towards oral tetracyclines to treat this or towards what cream can I use and how close can I get it to the eye. I, I think there are some practical things of eye massage, warm compresses, myobin gland. Just look up myobin gland dysfunction treatments, mm -hmm. both that can happen through the hands of a clinician or into your own hands if you're a patient. And it makes a tremendous difference with those folks. Only other pearl I'd say is on the opposite end of something very serious is ocular cicatricial pemphigoid. And this is an autoimmune phenomenon, typically in your elderly patient, but they come in with complaints of itchy eye. 
the eye's not bloodshot, doesn't look like conjunctivitis, well, you want to pull these eyelids down. You want to really take a look because if you're seeing a shortening of the fornix or that space in the eye is shortened like it's scarring, or you're seeing little strips of scar tissue, what we call symblethron, then they're heading towards this disease. They need to be biopsied immediately for a DIF in the hands of the ophthalmologist because if it's left untreated and progresses, there's a high incidence of blindness in this and complete keratinization of the eye, covering of the eye. And now that we know that rituximab is just phenomenal for this, early diagnosis of this is really, really important. So don't just overlook saying that you got dry eye, use a drop, really take the time to lift the upper lids, lower the lower lids, look around the eye. And if you see anything that looks unusual, then be in partnership with your ophthalmologist to make sure that they're being evaluated and potentially biopsied. Those are all so. great tips. Thank you so much. Thank you for sitting with us today. I really mm -hmm. appreciate it. With Dermcast TV, I'm Amber.